Welcome to From Caving In to Crushing It, the podcast for those who find themselves immersed in adversity and choose to write their story instead of having others write it for them. I'm Drew Duraney, and I'm your host. David, so good to see you, my friend. It was great to be here, Drew. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, you're, it's my pleasure, and I, I love that we're in a couple networking groups together, too, because I can't get enough of David Schreiner Khan. So, David, you know, we've been talking about a lot of different things since we've uh, gotten to know each other, and one thing I have never really dove deep into with you is how you've gotten to where you are. I know life is not linear, and I know you didn't wake up and in diapers say, I want to do what I'm doing now. Can you just give us a little about, you know, growing up and, and what has molded you into the, to, into the man you are now? Um, great question, Drew. And um, I think I'm getting closer to what I want to be doing. There you go. <laughs> at this point in life. Um, but yes, it's definitely life is not linear. Work is not linear. Um, it's all one big iterative process. We try stuff, see what works, what doesn't work. And hopefully we do more of what does work and less of what doesn't. Um, although sometimes it does feel like we're moving backwards too. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, um, you know, the sort of, uh, summary version of at least the professional side of my life is I studied engineering, which was, um, I was kind of very strongly encouraged to do that by my parents. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did better in math and science in high school than I did in the humanities. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like a very logical choice. Right. And, you know, particularly when I was in college in the seventies, it was considered um, kind of a, a safe profession where you could make a decent living. Right. You know, you go to work for some um, big corporation mm -hmm. and you, particularly for the bigger ones, there's usually opportunity to move around and move up. Um, and in those days, because it was before there was, there was portability with retirement funds, right. you actually needed to be working for one employer for a long period of time to get retirement funds. Okay. Um, so that was actually part of the deal. And, um, I was off to a good start, had two different jobs as an engineer yeah. and just after my second annual performance review in my second job where i got a very positive review and a nice raise a month later my boss calls me into his office he says david i have good news and bad news the good news is you're doing a great job bad news is you don't have a job here anymore and i was wow. totally blindsided by that um and 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 i'll come back to this because mm -hmm. I, I i suspect this is an area where um you you may find find it valuable for Absolutely. for the listeners of the show Absolutely. um so the short story is i ended up deciding i didn't want to have anything to do with sort of corporate life anymore mm -hmm. went into the nonprofit sector stayed there for 23 years and then um along the way I always had in the back of my mind that I wanted more control over my career destiny, um, right. in part because of that that first experience of being fired. Mm -hmm. And 
um, I decided that what I really wanted to do was to try my hand at having my own business. So in 2006, mm -hmm. I went from being a nonprofit executive to being a solo consultant. And um, and then the entrepreneurship is another like nonlinear journey. And, and right. today, fast forward, uh, my focus is helping corporate refugees, people very much similar to um, my journey, and, and I think also similar to yours, right. people that either leave voluntarily or get pushed out of their job when they're kind of, you know, often mid-career or later, right. and they want to do their own thing. So, how, you know, how do you actually set up the the structure and, and have all the all the ingredients you need for that to work, you know, to to start, run, and grow your own business so you can just do more of what you love and get paid what you're worth and support your lifestyle? Absolutely. So, you know, let me, well, we'll touch on this a little bit because I'm always intrigued. Um, you had the corporate uh, crisis happen when they, when they let you go. Um, what made you think that the nonprofit would be any different? And did you find any difference in the corporate mentality of a, of a nonprofit versus a for-profit? Um, yeah, those are really great questions. And the, so, so when I was let go, um, it was really shocking. Um, and I was totally blindsided by it. I was not really paying attention to the business side of what the company that I worked for was doing. Right. I was focused on engineering. That's what right. I was taught and that's what I was good at. Right. I was focused on solving engineering problems. Um, and it, um, and, and it was a time when, um, the economy wasn't great and and it was tough to find another job as an engineer and mm -hmm. then plus my heart wasn't in it there you go. and i was right i was living in boston at the time mm -hmm. which was not really a great um great market for chemical engineers there were there were lots of other kinds of engineers but mm -hmm. not so much in my in, in my specialty right um and relocating to the kinds of places where um i was more likely to find employment was not also was not so attractive i remember going to a job interview in um <clears throat> at a light bulb factory in the middle of ohio and i'm like <laughs> it's like i just couldn't see living there yeah um you know and, and i wasn't alone i was married and right. you know re you know newly married and mm -hmm. And it just didn't seem like the place to to start a family. Right. Um, did didn't speak to me, and, and that was true for you know a lot of different places where um, I might have found work. And again, the economy wasn't great, so finding work in my field actually wasn't as easy as it as it might have been. Right, right. And then yeah, so so I was you know struggling with finding um, something that I thought would involve. Um, perhaps a, a higher purpose plus mm -hmm. yeah. you know, plus being able to make a living right. and um the the unemployment was was pretty long it was over a year um and i ended up um on the advice the recommendation of a good friend of mine ended up um signing up for a, a professional uh, kind of professional slash personal development program okay called life work planning which is about creating a whole <clears throat> strategic vision and strategic plan for your life including mm -hmm. 
work and and other aspects of of how you spend your time right and came out of that with this aha that um there there are ways that one could do something that is more satisfying um and really would would speak more to um what nourish i thought would nourish my soul right. um and 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 doing some market research led me to to try to get a job in the nonprofit sector, which I did. Um, once I sort of was really clear on what I wanted to achieve and how to do it, um, I ended up getting a, a a job offer that I thought was was the right kind of job offer right. within two months. And did, in a totally different field. I was going to say, so nothing to do with engineering. Nothing to do with engineering. Um, the closest that that um, that. I would say came to engineering was when the the boiler broke in the facility that I was managing. <laughs> um, I, I I sort of knew a few tricks to kind of get it to restart. Well, um, do you, do you <laughs> consciously avoid engineering when you looked in the nonprofit sector? Yes, I consciously avoided mm -hmm. engineering anything corporate. Yeah. Um, so that you know, so I ended up doing doing the kind of work that. Um, did have a much more direct impact on on uh, on people's lives, okay. and I felt much better about what I was doing. Right. And the answer to your second question about what what did I see in the nonprofit yeah. sector, right, was um was actually it depended on the organization. There were some organizations that really made an effort to um to have I would say um to espouse values that um, that involved caring for mm -hmm. not just the people that the organization served, but the, the, the employees, contractors, um, you know, having good relationships with vendors, um, right. kind of doing the right thing in the way they did business. And then there were others that behaved very similarly to the, um, to my last corporate experience. Right. Uh, and, um, you know, and the longer I was in the nonprofit sector, the more I noticed those that um, didn't bend over backwards to kind of care for employees, right. um, which, which is also part of what led me to want to just have more control over um, over my income. Right. You know, it's interesting when we talk about nonprofit. I, I, I always was not a fan of that term because I thought it was somewhat misleading because but all those organizations still want to have a profit, which is revenue over expenses. It's what they do with that quote unquote profit and whether it's reinvested in the organization for like for nonprofits or given to shareholders for for the for the you know, for the for profit. So um in my experience, yeah, it all it depended on the organization. The distinction Correct. between the two. Correct. Yeah. yeah, and by the way, this is something I tell people that are in the nonprofit world, yeah. including cl clients of mine that are nonprofits, right. is being a nonprofit doesn't mean that you can't make a profit or shouldn't make a profit. Right. In fact, I believe as a nonprofit, you should make a profit because there are, there will be lean years when you need to have assets to carry mm -hmm. you through. It takes Absolutely. a long time to to kind of um develop a new funding source absolutely and and you can a funding source can dry up really quickly and i've yes. seen it happen where mm -hmm. you know organization loses 20 40 50 percent of their revenue overnight right and unless they have money in the bank they're not going to survive absolutely so that that's really important the only th thing that's different is if you're a nonprofit in america mm -hmm. you're tax exempt exactly so you and you're not 
actually exempt from all taxes, but you're exempt from a lot of taxes. Right. No, so true. Absolutely. So there's two things that, that I heard. Um, one was your heart wasn't in it with the engineering, and that comes back to passion, doing what you're passionate about. And the second thing is that you were newly married when you lost your job. So I want to touch on both of those. The first part, the belief system. You went into engineering because it was suggested to you by your parents that that would be a good place to go. What are your thoughts about what truly is your belief system versus what was the belief system that was taught to you? Well, I think as we get, the older we get um, in our existence on this planet, mm -hmm. the more we realize <laughs> that the, we, we may have started off with a belief system that was um, imparted to us, suggested to us, mm -hmm. or dictated to us by mm -hmm. those around us, and the more we are able to come up with our own belief system. You know, different people um progress at different rates absolutely and at different stages mm -hmm. um yeah i i was um i grew up in a family where it was challenging to have your own belief system yeah let's yeah. put it this let's, let's just put it that way yes and and i i can i can relate to that <laughs> um yeah and and we're usually put on the the path of of what conformity is in the gen in, you know in the in the environment at, at that time and uh yeah i was definitely in the same same boat you were the other thing that struck me is newly married lost your job and you were looking even in places that were far away from where you lived but you still kept here the the, the gut feeling that this isn't right for you how did that work with a new relationship with your wife and and you know you two working together that's that's not necessarily a compromise but something that you can collaborate on and make it good for both of you and the relationship um, well yeah i i would say that um financial stresses are often the triggers mm -hmm. for <clears throat> all kinds of things right. um, including in relationships i, I have mm -hmm. to say that um i feel blessed that my wife and i have always had a um pretty communicative relationship mm -hmm. where we're um generally on the same page about about the important things in life right, right. and um you know now now it, it seems even easier to say because we've been together for mm -hmm. um, um at this point it's 43 years oh, that's it's a wonderful. Lo long time wonderful, um, wonderful. you know but at that point, the, you know, the story we're talking about is, um, you know, we had been married for two years at that point. So okay. it, was, you know, it was pretty early on. Yeah. Um, we had just bought our first um, first, um, first home. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a mortgage. Yeah. Um, they got, you know, so that so there was that pressure. Yeah. And um, she had just graduated from um, uh, grad school in a field where um suddenly there were no entry-level jobs oh boy okay um yeah so so basically we were in a very tough spot financially mm -hmm. which added a lot of pressure to everything mm -hmm. and um it didn't seem like there was an easy way out right right it sounds like you had a solid foundation in the relationship that could withstand something heavier like 
like the economy and your finances and the job. So kudos to you and your wife for building that solid foundation. So, because you know what happens when we have a weak foundation, you put anything heavy on it, it collapses. So, um, it, yes, happy. and I, yeah, I've, I've seen that way too many times with yeah. other people. So we're, you know, we've been very blessed that we've been able to weather a lot of storms in our lives. Wonderful. I want to learn a little more about the transition from nonprofit to where you are now and that entrepreneurial spirit. And you had said we're going to get back to that. So I guess now might be a good point, a good part to, sure. to get to that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as I said, I was in the field for, for 23 years mm -hmm. and um, I had three different jobs. I had a job that was three years, two years, and then 18 years. So the last one was wow. a very long run. <laughs> and I started off in a number two position in a small education agency. Mm -hmm. And I ended in a number two position in a, in a bigger, more complicated education agency. Okay. So, so the organization grew, the responsibilities grew, the staff grew, right. the income grew. And um, there was a... And I, and I, as I said earlier, I, I had always thought about like what, what would come next. Right. Um, Cause I, and I learned early on that you always need to be planning what's going to come next mm -hmm. and you need, and you need to have alternatives in your plan. Cause you never know how things are going to work out. Right. Um, and I, you know, I thought about actually doing something as an entrepreneur when I had lost my engineering job, mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody who was an entrepreneur. I had no clue how, how it worked. Right. Right. Um, and um, it's it just, it, it couldn't happen at that point, mm -hmm. but I did pay attention to, um, other people that I saw who were successful entrepreneurs and particularly in the nonprofit field, mm. many of the board members that I had worked with and got to know really well were very successful in business. Okay. That's how they got to become philanthropists. Right. Absolutely. And, right. And so, um, I, um, I, I thought, again, thought long and hard about trying to make that that leap. And I had a good friend of mine who um, actually, like me, studied engineering. He ended up also leaving corporate life early on in his career and went into his own business okay. um, as an engineer. And he kept saying, David, why don't you just you know do what I do? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I need the paycheck. Da -da. You, know, anyway, <laughs> yep. you, know, you know the whole scenario. <laughs> I certainly do. And... Um, you know, sometimes life um, gives you opportunities, mm -hmm. whether or not you're ready for them. Yes. And um, there were two things happened kind of in, in close succession. One is I was asked to be part of an executive education program for nonprofit leaders to sort of mm -hmm. <clears throat> give me the formal training that I'd never had right. um, all those years. Right. So I was in this program that was associated with the Columbia Business School, you know, which is a great, great school. It was a great Absolutely. program. Yeah. And basically they were they were grooming those of us that were in the program to move up a notch in the organizational mm. hierarchy, um, right, in our field. Right. Right. And just as I was finishing the program, the, um, the board of my organization made a decision to hire a new CEO. Don't you love that? the time right and so right so <laughs> the person who had hired me seven at that point it was 17 years earlier uh -huh. and um was was going to be stepping aside but not leaving the organization they okay. were they found a new role for him interesting okay right and right. they then they were going to bring on a new ceo mm -hmm. and the new ceo was somebody i knew well because he was actually a board member interesting. and he and i had some overlap in skills 
Okay. And I saw, okay, so this organization is now paying three big salaries instead of two. Mm. I don't know that this is going to last that long. Mm -hmm. And there's probably not going to be room for all three of us. And I know which one of us <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. may need to find some other yeah. way to get to, to make a make a living. Yeah. Um, so in, so in fact, um, that did come to fruition, it took a year. Right. Um, but but I thought, okay, so I now have this training, I have all this experience in the field, what do I really want to do? I really want more control over, over my my career, right? Um, I'll become a consultant. Um, okay. And I, right, I had worked with lots of consultants, of I had friends who were consultants, right? That, you know, how, how hard can this be? And <laughs> right. um, so I, you know, I, I waited until, um, till I got pushed out because there would be a little financial cushion to of be course. able to right to get my business started. So of I course. didn't actually do anything other than think about it until right. I had to. Yeah, and too, then right. as I said, a year later, I was asked to leave. Um, and I said, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be a consultant. And I started telling everybody I knew and I uh, started getting some business. Good. You know, so, it wasn't like you know the first day that I announced it, but within a few months, got the first client, got a second client, and um, and actually the you know the transition worked okay. <laughs> right, yeah, it's it's always good when you can do consulting in a field that you're an expert in. So finding the clients um, was a little easier than if you had broken away and been a consultant in something completely new. Right. If I tried to do something brand new, yeah. I think it would have been pretty hard. All right. Well, tell us about um, I got a couple last questions, and I want to promote you. So we're gonna we're gonna have to find out how the audience can find you. Last two questions, David. You're sitting down with seven to ten year old David, and you're gonna give him advice about life. What are you gonna tell him? Um, I'm gonna say a few things. First of all, um, I, I like the way you kind of introduced this whole idea that life and careers are nonlinear. Right. Um, so to think about how that may, how that plays out and be prepared mm -hmm. for it. Right. Um, always be planning. I think you always need to have a plan B mm -hmm. and be ready to actually execute on it. That's really important. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing that I think is really important is not to be afraid to try something new, mm -hmm. um, particularly something where you don't have all the pieces in place. Mm -hmm. And as an eight-year-old, it's easier to do that than as an 80-year-old. Right. True. Right. The older you get, the harder it is to do. The yeah. more accomplished you become in your field, mm -hmm. the harder it is to step out of your comfort zone and try something new because you're used to being right. Right. And people <laughs> look, right? People around mm -hmm. you look to you mm -hmm. for you being right. Mm -hmm. um, so it gets harder and harder to step out of your comfort zone. So that's that's something I would say to somebody and, and, and to pay attention, particularly in school. School teaches us that there's right and wrong right. and that you always want to be right. And it, it kind of reinforces um, the notion that stepping out of your comfort zone is not smart. Yeah. And I think that's actually wrong. Uh, yep. It, it's okay to be wrong. Because that's how we learn. It is okay to be wrong. Yep, absolutely. 
Just don't do it too many times. No, and learn. Don't from, do it too and, many. Yeah. Don't, don't do it too many times with this on the same kind of step. There you go. Learn, learn from it, and move on. Exactly. Uh, all right. Yeah. Now it's uh, still you, David. But now you're sitting down with David, the new businessman, new entrepreneur. What business advice would you give young David? Um, his two things that you really need to do. Um, one is you need to do market research. Mm -hmm. And the second is you need to sell and they're distinct and they're separate. And the way you get to them is um, do a little bit of self-reflection, identify what it is that you most love doing, what it is you're best at doing, who you want to serve, what kinds of problems you think they have that you can solve. Then you do your market research around that to try to go deeper and learn what is it that um, uh, about your hypothesis that either may be true or not true. And you got to do this by talking to people mm -hmm. who know about the kind of problem you're trying to solve, get some validation before you try to offer anything. Validation on the problem, willingness for people to, to pay for that, to pay for it, whether it is actually sufficiently profitable and don't try to sell to people with whom you're doing the market research because otherwise they're not going to be, they won't be as straightforward with you. So do the market research, do enough of it. So you get a sense of, yeah, I think there's a chance I can sell this and then go out and try to sell it. Don't worry about doing anything internally with your business, you know, business administration, your mm -hmm. website, LinkedIn profile or whatever it is. Just try to sell, get somebody to actually validate your hypothesis by giving you money. When that advice. starts, right? When that starts, uh -huh. then you can worry about building a website for the second customer or the third customer. But get that first customer because that's the most important validation. I've seen too many people mm. spin their wheels trying to create something that nobody wants to buy. That's a very good point. Clarity of purpose first, and then then you build the infrastructure. Uh, David, this has been wonderful. Um, absolutely fantastic. Uh, there are going to be, the listeners are going to want more of David Schreiner Khan. And can you please provide them? How do they reach you? What are you doing now? And how do they get to you? Um, smashingtheplateau.com is the repository for all of our information. That's where you can listen to hundreds of episodes of my podcast. That's where you can learn about our fabulous community for corporate refugees that are starting, running, and growing their own businesses. Um, I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn, so you can connect with me there as well. That's wonderful, David. Hey, thank you so much for coming on, my friend. I am grateful that you're in my life, in my community, and, and we're going to continue to build our relationships. Thanks again for everything you're doing for the community, David. Thank you, Drew. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and give us a review to help others find it. If you find yourself immersed in adversity and would like to find support from other men in times of struggle, please become a member of my Men Supporting Men Collaboration Tribe by emailing me at drew at profitcompassion.com, expressing your interest, and I'll get in touch with you. Speak to you soon.